You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey guys, it's great to be with you today, and I'm looking forward to sharing out of God's Word and uh, talking to you about a challenging subject. Last uh, last week we talked about the kind of the free for, the free fall that happens when. Uh, with people in our lives and our sin and how we just have kind of spiraled down. And we talked about how at the end of that, how things kind of go splat. Have you ever, have you ever dropped an egg, you know, in the kitchen accidentally? To be honest with you, I was thinking about bringing an egg this morning. I intended to, I forgot it. Because you know I would drop it, but our uh, cleaning team is glad that we didn't do that. You know, I wouldn't have dropped it on the carpet. I'm not that dumb, so just a little bit dumb. But I would have done it out here. And who knows? Maybe God spared you guys from a little bit of the overspray. But we talked about the the fall, uh, just how how life and how our sin and just when you begin to neglect God and stop being grateful for God and how that brings a darkness over you, just as the if you've ever seen a storm coming over the horizon, the Bible says that there's a darkness that begins to enter into our heart. Our minds begin to be foolish in its thinking and futile and, and, and unaffected in its thinking. And then ultimately we slide all the way from just neglecting the one true God of the universe to where we then be declaring all kinds of things, God, and we reinvent and recreate God. Because, you see, we really can never get away from God. God made us spiritual beings in our heart. Atheism will never truly rule the day across the board because all of us will find something that is important to us. Well, this morning, we're not talking about the free-for-all. We're talking about the splat that happens after that. We're talking about just the absolute disaster when the egg hits the floor there's no one scrambling the egg, you know. How many of you like like the, the eggs over easy, like where, you know, you crack it and you just kind of, you don't scramble it? I, I, I don't like those. I, there's only, for me, one way for eggs. I mean, just scramble the whole thing and be done with it. So I, I suppose I could scrape it off the floor and dip it in the pan. I could kind of go on with life. But for you over easy people, you're like, yeah, that egg is ruined. It's done regardless of the germs. You can't unscramble it. Well, this morning, we're going to see the scrambled part, but we know in Jesus that He does unscramble the egg, and He unscrambles it in our life. So read with me, if you would, in Romans chapter 1. The Bible says this, starting in verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up. He's talking about our lives, he's talking about our culture, he's talking about society, when people free fall into sin. And here's what God happens pragmatically. This is the splat. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, here's the second thing that God gave them up to. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those who are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And here's the third one. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God... God gave them up to a debased or a disgraceful mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. 
They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now I gave, if you were not here last week, I kind of gave a little, uh, uh, not a disclaimer, but just kind of a reminder that uh, the good news is the good news. It's the gospel of salvation that saves us. But the only reason that it's good news is because of the bad news. It's so bad. In fact, to be honest with you, the better we understand the bad news, the better the good news looks. The better, the, the deeper the debt, the, the more that we owe, the greater the forgiveness and the grace that we receive. And so we plunge into this mess that we're seeing this morning, not to revel in it by a long shot, and not to definitely look at our, you know, at other people in the world, but to examine our hearts, and I'll make clear of that in a moment. But really, it's to see the gospel better and to really make sense of the world around us and the mess in our own hearts to see what God has done. And so that's why I think, as, as I've told you, you know, the next two or three weeks, these two chapters are all about sin and this, this mess, and we're going to walk through it and make sense of it. But it's why we, in a few minutes after I'm done speaking, we'll participate in the Lord's Supper because Jesus came to die for all of this. He's the one that came to forgive us of all of that. So, so let's talk about the, the end results when the egg hits the floor and it just goes everywhere, the mess. And what the first thing is that God does as a result of our actions and our neglecting Him, not just our running against Him, but just neglecting Him and kind of reinventing our concept of God and doing our own thing. And the, the first thing that God does, the Bible says, is that He gives us up to the lusts of our heart to impurity, to the point where we dishonor or, or disgrace our bodies among ourselves is what He's talking about. The first thing I want you to realize is that one of the consequences of our sin when we go headlong into sin is that God gives us up to even more sin. He gives us up to go even deeper. It's almost as if we have a, a line, a rope attached from us to God and God's holding the rope and we go running down as far as we can into sin and we jump off the cliff and we're there trying to yank and go down even farther and God's holding the rope and He finally says, okay, if that's what you want, I'm going to let you go and go even further. We've all dealt with individuals that were hell-bent in doing something, going in a direction, and we're like, I can't do anything. You can't, you know, I can't physically incarcerate you. I can't lock you up. If that's where you're going, then you're going to go. I can't do anything for you. The darkness and the mess that happens in our hearts, the darkness and the mess that happens in our culture and in the society around us is that we go even further and deeper into sin. Sin in our lives is always at 100% progressive by nature. It never stops here. It always goes farther and farther and farther and farther and deeper and deeper. And that's part of the consequences of our, our life of wanting to reinvent God as we do our own thing. And it ultimately results in impure desires. We go headlong into impure passions, the Bible says, the lust of our heart, and we dishonor our bodies together. In Corinth, where Paul is writing this from, it was a normal part of worship. It's, history tells us that there was a temple there, 
that had a thousand temple prostitutes. And this may seem odd, like they had prostitution and church at the same time. Like that is messed up and weird. So not only was it legal, but it was also deeply spiritual and doing the religious duty. Well, how did they get into that strange world? Well, when you reinvent the picture of who God is, and you have multiple gods, and one of those gods happens to be the god of fertility, the god of blessing, and you tend to be struggling with money, then you go and you worship that god, and you do those kinds of fertile acts so that you can manipulate your concept of God and you can gain a blessing from that God. So I guess you go and tell your wife, honey, I know this is hard, but I'm going to go do my duty at at church today because we need crops in the field. I mean, you think about the stupidity of it. It's just ridiculous. But that's the splat. When you reinvent God in your mind, it affects your thinking, it affects your morality, it affects your sexuality all the way down to that. And that's what Paul is talking about. So when we look around the world, and if you've ever sat back, is how in the world did we get to this place? How, how did we get to that? How did, how did this happen? We have to look back upstream, and it starts when we individually, or we as a culture, or we as a society neglect the person of God. You remove God from one aspect of that world, and there is nothing left but a downward spiral that affects every area of our life. And that's why today we can look. I spent a lot of time looking at statistics this week and tried to stay out of some areas and tried to just get some knowledge and just numbers and facts, if that makes sense. And afterwards, I'll be honest, I'm just like, I'm so tired of looking at some of this stuff. It's just ridiculous, but... That's why the, the the best that I could tell, looking at various numbers, the, the biggest porn site out there has 300 million individual visits a day. A day. A day. Because we ignore the person of God. That's why over one-third of all downloads from the Internet are related to pornography. That's why we end up in a culture today where it's normal for hooking up and affairs are commonplace and why our young adults expect to live together to see if they're compatible. Despite all of the science and the evidence that says, yeah, if you live together before you get married, actually you're increasing your chance when you finally do get married to divorce. You're going to actually more likely to separate if you do that. That's why we live in a culture where the stats anywhere between a third to 30 to 25 percent of Women have been sexually assaulted, abused. I mean, you just, you just keep going down that line of just like, oh my God, how did we get into this awful world in which we live? Because we've neglected God as a people and as individuals. And you take a, you take a single God out of this world who rules over this universe to whom we are accountable for our lives to whom has all authority, who has the standard of righteousness, you remove that God and you reinvent a God of your own making, of your own design, of your own, you know, little, like like some of those um, role-playing games, you kind of devise your own little God to however you want it. And you can justify anything you want in your life. You become your own standard of morality. It's it's what you want to do and when you want to do it and how you want to do it and it's what makes sense to you. Or you just follow whatever popular opinion is of the day around us. And so Paul is describing the culture and his world, how they got to that ridiculous place 
where they mixed shameful, disgraceful sexuality with religion. And folks, we live in that same world today. We live in that same exact situation today. Shameful, disgraceful. And ultimately, we end up worshiping the creature rather than the Creator who made us. And we end up serving and bowing down to ourselves and, and whatever the things that we so desire, rather than acknowledging and bowing down and yielding ourselves, including our bodies, to the one God in heaven. Wrong worship, if you will, and not knowing the God of heaven and serving Him properly in the way that He has revealed Himself to us will always undermine our life all the way even to the base level of our sexuality. That's what this is talking about. Second area, not only does the splat, not only does the spiraling down, does it lead us into impure desires, but it leads to unnatural desires. Look at verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, dis disgraceful passions again. And it goes on and to explain what today we call lesbianism or homosexuality, women exchanging natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, not natural, not the way that, that we've been designed, biology, if you will. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So what Paul is telling us is that when we neglect the person of God, it affects our sexuality, it affects even their sexual, today our culture would say, sexual orientation, our gender identity, the culture would say. It affects us at our core person of who we are. And Paul is describing and saying, look guys, this is, this is reality. So today we live in a culture that is doing everything to say this is appropriate behavior. This is legitimate behavior. It's, it should be uh, just a natural thing, even though all of nature says it's not. Um, so the question for us is, as Christians, is it right or wrong? You know, there's debate in the world, even in churches today, unfortunately, that says, well, that's not really what it means. You know, Jesus never said anything against homosexuality. He never said it was wrong or bad. And, and that's just not what this passage means. But folks, I just, this is kind of plain English. You know, this is as difficult as it is and as unpopular as this is today. It's pretty plain that you ignore and neglect God and you go spiraling down and darkening in your own passions and desires that one of those things that gets scrambled at the end of the day is people's you know, sexuality to the point that it's became common in Paul's day and it's increasingly common in our day. All the homosexuality and all the lesbianism and all the transgender and all the identities and all the things that go along with that. Paul tells us the source of it is ultimately a neglect of God. Now, as Christians, you know, some of the debate that goes on, well, where did it come from? You know, there's a choice a person made and others who advocate for it say, well, no, God made me this way. No, you made this choice and all of that. I want to caution us as Christians to not to be too smug in this answer, all right? Because keep in mind, we're talking about passions. 
In a minute, I just read it, but in a minute we're going to talk about where God gave us up to a debased mind. Right now he's talking about debased, talking about uh, disgraceful desires, passions in our heart. Those things are a whole lot harder to get a handle on. Where they come from, you know? I Let me take it at one level, and maybe it could be debated, but, you know, I like... It took me as an adult to realize I like vinegar. I love mustard. I'm not a ketchup guy. I love salt and vinegar chips. My dad hates them, acts like they're just from the pit of hell, you know, just cannot stand them. And I'm like, it's great. I think I could take the pickle juice and just like down. It's probably horrible for me. I don't know, but I like, I like vinegar. I never decided one day that, you know what, I'm just going to like vinegar. That's kind of my thing. Like, I just, I do. It's just it's there, you know? When we're talking about these sins, I don't ever remember a day that I just said as a kid, you know what, I'm going to be a liar. I'm going to be disobedient to my parent. I don't ever remember sitting down and deciding, well, I'm just going to be a prideful person. I'm going to be, I'm going to be a person that's jealous or envious. I don't ever remember a day where I sat down and consciously you know, thought about all of these things. I just did all of these things because in my heart, my heart was already darkened and already scrambled because of sin. You know, people tell lies because they're liars already. They're not liars because they tell lies. They tell lies because they're liars. So here's where I'm headed now. Just hang with me. Some of you may be a little bit nervous. Some of you are like, Sean, where are you going to land on all of this? All right. So it's, I'm not sure we're ever going to be able to, to say to one person, like, hey, this is exactly, you know, the day you chose to do X, Y, and Z. I'm not sure that is a conversation or an argument you're ever going to be able to gain any ground in a person's mind with. But what the Bible does tell us is the egg has fallen, and it has gone splat. And it is people's spiritual morality, and even their desires have gotten so scrambled that for some people, they go headlong into these desires. And they go even further and further. And it's ultimately just part of the mixed up, messed up, sinful world in which we live. And we shouldn't be as surprised about it. It's, it's, it's ultimately... Our fault is sin. It's, it's all sin, and it's ultimately our responsibility in the middle of that. So how bad is it? This is one of the things that churches, and we debate in this topic, you know, is this the unpardonable sin? Is this the epitome of all ungodliness? Well, this does kind of, as an example, go way down that road. But it's just sin. In fact, Paul uses the same word to describe the previous sin, which was heterosexual not homosexual, and he describes both of them as disgraceful. And he's putting all of these lists, these three topics, these three downward spirals, the splat, all on even playing field. No one's bigger than the other. You know, It's in the list with disobedient to parents. It's in the list with pride and arrogance and murder and everything else. It's a sin along the way with all kinds of sin. And just like you and I get tempted to tell lies, just like you and I get tempted to be envious, you, just like you and I get tempted to be prideful, some individuals are tempted in those areas as well. In my estimation, it's not as common. You know, I think everybody gets tempted to lie, right? Any non-liars in the room? 
Anybody in here never told a lie? I think we've all been tempted to lie, and I think we've all stepped into that world, right? Anybody 100% obey your parents perfectly? That's universal. The other, no, not everybody is going to be tempted that way. But some are. When the egg gets scrambled, you, we and ourselves and our world cannot unscramble that and cannot change it. But that's how we wake up one day and you have to put your personal pronouns on the end of your email. And you have to refer to other people or you face disciplinary action. And that's why we can end up with the alphabets of LGBT, QQI, 2PAA, plus. And some of you thought that there were only four or five. No, there's actually a bunch more. And the plus on the end means there will be a bunch more next year. And there will be some the year after that along the way. That's why that we today have so many definitions and so many things running around and why there people can conceive of a gender separate from their sex. Because we've gone down this road of ignoring God, changing the nature of things. That's why today parents can give their kids hormone blockers and and things that would be given to an adult man to essentially castrate a man, but it can give them to a kid. And why doctors are performing surgeries that, in my estimation, are not healthy <laughs> and are not to the benefit of the individual and really are not irreversible and really don't change the nature of what's going on. And it's so sad. It is just such a mess and it's just such a disaster and all that we're looking at today. That's how we can wake up and feel these pressures and run into all of these things today because it's just the result of a culture that's ignored God and it's now reaping the ultimate result. And God says, okay, if you're hell-bent and going down this road, you can keep going. And part of the, part of the punishment, part of the fruit of that is we get even more stunk, stuck and go down that road. And so today in our world, that's why, you know, it used to be, Kids would get asked, so what do you want to be when you grow up? And now they're more apt to be asked, I don't know if this is true, it's a little bit of hyperbole, I try to shoot you straight, but I'm just going this for effect. What gender are you today? Instead of what do you want to be when you grow up? And why are kids that have enough trouble learning their, their subjects in school have to be careful to not get in trouble because they've got to refer to their friend differently than they did yesterday or the year before and just the pressures and on and on. And kids that are already struggling with their emotions and feelings and growing up in their world that are exposed to these things like, oh, well, maybe that's why I feel out of place. No, you just feel out of place because you're 13. And it's just everybody does. No, you might really like your girlfriends because you just really like them. It's not because you're a lesbian. You just really have close friends. And yet our world pushes so much down that road. And it's why a boy can be like, yeah, you don't have to like hockey and football and lacrosse. Yeah, you got more of a touchy-feely side and artsy. It's okay. You're not transgender. You don't need to go down that road. Just be the boy that you are and the person that you are. I really don't understand it because if you stop back and think about it for a minute, the world wants to everybody do their own thing and wants to break out into multiple genders, you know. I mean, today there's not just finite numbers. It's kind of like the, just an infinite array in there. But, but we still, if you step back, so if a guy wants to be more sensitive and, you know, maybe not dress the, the same as boys, 
we're going to just sh- we're going to shove him still into that other, and we're going to change the gender over to a girl. I mean, it's just it's so just so dumb. It really is. I so I want to be careful here, and we will get there in a minute. But two things come to my mind with all of this. One is, do you remember those the old book by Hans Christian Andersen that says the emperor's new clothes? Do you remember that? Where the story is of the you know these two. Um, two guys that were um, going to swindle the king. They said, we make such refined clothing that nobody can see these clothes who is of average intelligence. Only the smartest and brightest and wisest can see them. And they were just pulling literally the wool over his eyes. And they and they went and pretended to make all these clothes that were invisible. They just made it all up. I mean, just, you know, they were like used car salesmen, whatever, on steroids, hoping that you guys sell used cars. So anyway, you, you know you have a bad reputation anyway. Anyway. So along with the, the tax auditors and politicians, everybody else under the sun. So we love all of you anyway. But they they just, they were off the chart in what they did to the king. And the king fell for it. Because he didn't want to be shown to be ignorant and have average intelligence. And so they put it on the king and refined it and fixed it. And he's like, look at my clothes. And I guess the guy's standing there naked. I don't know. I don't remember the, the picture book anyway. And and finally, he tells all his courtiers, you know, look at my clothes. And they're kind of like, they don't want to be the one to tell the king he's stupid. And they're like, well, I guess I don't want to be stupid either. So I'm going to tell everybody these look beautiful. And then the king parades down the road until finally some little boy's like, the king's got no clothes. You know, finally, one kid calls it out and everybody recognizes we live in a day where the things that I'm talking about is us like that kid. Like, what are you talking about? The emperor's got no clothes. And that's reality. The second thing that comes to my mind is what Romans 1 said just earlier last week. Thinking themselves wise, claiming to be wise, they become fools. There is something in our human nature when people trying to be intelligent, trying to write all of these things, and I mean, I spent more time than I should have. There are just so many new words and vocabulary that I just, it would blow your mind if you looked them up. And I stay, I pay attention to those things, and I just thought, oh my good night, what in the world? I'll be put in jail in a week because I don't understand what any of these things are. And they sound so wise when they write them, and I read the articles, and it's just such filled with such foolish nonsense. It's, emperor's got no clothes. How did we get here? It comes from people and individuals that have ignored and neglected God and have spiraled down the line. I'm not saying the temptations of people. I'll talk to it in a minute. We're going to talk about it. Christians can battle these temptations, and there's a place for all of that. We'll hit that in a minute, but let me hit this third one. Then the third piece of the, the egg that goes splat is, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God in verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind. That whole acknowledging God is, in essence, since they tested God, found God to be lacking. Same word, God looked at them, and their mind is now lacking. You see, when you look at who God is and who God claims to be, and you're like, yeah, that's not the right answer, then essentially God looks at you in your mind and says, yeah, your mind's not the right answer either, and He lets go of the rope and we spiral even deeper. And our mind leads us. You know, these first two were issues of passion, if you will. These last ones are not crimes of passion. They're just, they're more calculated in our mind that we're filled with all kinds of unrighteousness and evil and covetous, wanting and desiring things and 
malice and envy and strife and deceit, which is lying and maliciousness and gossiping and slandering people, hating God, insolent, which means we look at ourselves better than the people around us. We're haughty, which means we're prideful. And then boastful, we talk about it. Like three things here, just dealing with the own pridefulness of our heart. And we've been all kinds of things that are evil. And if this one doesn't scare you a little bit as parents, disobedient to parents is in this list as a hardcore issue. That's why when we talked about disciplining kids and how to do that, it's just so important. It's not a matter of your child just behaving. It's a matter of like, where's your kid before a holy God in heaven? And how are you helping them? Foolishness, faithlessness, which isn't so much the, I don't believe in Jesus, I don't have faith, is more as a person that doesn't commit to their promises and to their covenants, breaking those promises, breaking those agreements. Heartless, no love or heart, and just an out-and-out ruthlessness. The egg's been scrambled when we go away from God. Folks, we are all in this list somewhere. And that's what I want us to recognize. I talked about the others, and somehow churches, I think we, I think, to be honest with you, I think we get more of a reputation of downing the things I just talked about in a minute than reality. But we, all of these things, before holy God, we all have multiple things on these pages in our lives, from the first ones of just sexual immorality to the, all the way down with homosexuality to, to all of this list, is that we are all guilty before a holy God. And that's what Paul is trying to tell us, is that, hey, he's going to spend chapters upon chapters about the incredible goodness of the grace of God to forgive us of all of this. But until then, he's, he's jumping down into the cesspool of the reality. And we as Christians can walk around and get so incensed that like the culture around us, how did we end up here? Let's very simple. It's called sin. And it's sinners' hearts that go headlong even further until we've made our lives an absolute mess. So how do we respond to some of these things, guys? How do we what's our how do we react? I've got a bunch of these things. I probably can't get them all out, but let me give you two or three, at least, and maybe four or five. I want you to notice chapter two, verse one. If it's not on the screen, I'll read it. And the Bible says this. Paul says, therefore, whenever you see therefore in the Bible, especially Paul, you need to see what it is there for. In other words, you can't understand verse 1 without understanding the previous chapter. Now that I've told you this mess and this free fall and this splat, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. First thing out of the box, folks, we can't pick any sin in this list that I've talked about this morning and say, those guys. We have to say, we, us, every one of these. We have to realize that this is, this is us it's talking about. This is not the other team. This is not across the street. This is not that other group, that other forum. This is, this is us as people where we are. Second thing we need to realize is we ought to grieve and pray for our families, our culture, our nation. We ought to have a committed patience, not getting angry, not reactive. It ought to grieve our heart. 
we ought not play around with it and act like it's not an issue. It ought to break our heart. It ought to make us sad. It ought to grieve us. Now, yeah, when somebody's pushing things, that should make us mad. How do we get in a culture when adults in our kids' lives, whether doctors or in the education world, can talk about their identity and their sexuality without parental involvement and consent? I have no idea. That's where we're headed, and then they're more than we want to admit or recognize today. That does make me angry and upset. The child who's born and given and entrusted to the parent ought to be 100% in the middle of that conversation and never neglected in any of these topics whatsoever. But nonetheless, we should grieve. And our heart should not become reactive and angry. In fact, Hebrews 12 says something that's very sobering to us. It's talking about Jesus, and it says we should consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Hebrews tells us, folks, that we should look at Jesus, who dealt with sinners all the way to the point that He died on the cross, and He didn't get tired of it, and He didn't throw in the towel, and none of us have resisted what others are doing or saying, that we have to stay in it and not become exasperated and not write off and not... uh, not respond anything other than the way Jesus did. It means we need to treat people with respect and dignity, even if they are disrespectful, even if they are saying we're bigots or misogynists or whatever new word is going to get invented tomorrow to label us and castigate us, that our response is to be respectful in the middle of all of that, not disrespectful, and recognizing that people are blinded to their own sin. I don't and, and those individuals, we should expect in our church, right? I don't, whenever I go to the hospital, I'm not expecting to see people looking like they're at the gym working out. <laughs> I expect people hurting, sick, messed up. We are not a gym. We are a hospital spiritually, all right? I don't expect us as River to be walking around and everybody to like, oh, I got my act together. I've got, oh, I'm great. No, we are a hospital. We recognize that we are just a bunch of sinful Messed up people trying to grow and figure those things out. And we treat people appropriately. In fact, it's because of that, and we, we have our Discover class in a bit, but we, uh, we have in our doctrinal statement this last paragraph that we added a number of years ago, and I want you to listen to it. It says that God offers redemption and restoration to all who confess and forsake their sin and seek His mercy and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Consequently, every person must be afforded compassion, love, kindness, respect, and dignity. Malicious behavior or attitudes directed toward any individual, regardless of belief or practices, are wrong and are not in accord with Scripture nor the doctrines of this church. Now, we make it very clear that we recognize sin and we're not afraid to talk about it, but we're going to do it respectfully and lovingly, and we're going to treat people as they should be treated And we're going to do our dead-level best to help sinners who are blinded to their sin, who are caught and who are headlong and who are stuck in some of the things that we're talking about, whether it's they're disobedient to their parent, whether they've committed murder, whether they've raped, whether they are struggling with years of of, uh, sinful sexual desires that we want to engage and we want to help. Another thing, we recognize that God didn't make anybody this way, folks. 
whether or not the gene is ever found, whether or not somehow sin goes from parent to child. I don't know how that happens. Do you? It's the Guys have X and Y chromosomes, right? I always get in the middle of this, right? Ladies are XX, right? Right? These science people. So is the sin gene and the Y because Jesus clearly came from Mary and he didn't have any sin? I don't know that we can figure all of that out. I don't know. You probably don't either. But it's kind of irrelevant. At the end of the day, we're responsible for our own temptations, our own sins, and our own messed upness. You know, we're just, our feelings, all of it, we're responsible. But God didn't make us this way. We went down this road. We messed this up. So we unapologetically continue to believe and continue to recognize this, but continue to engage and to reach out. We teach it lovingly and carefully to our kids. Folks, mom and dad, you are living in a world where this is harder today than it was when I was raising my children. It's harder. There's more confusion than ever. You know, there's such a thing, there's no, no bad, there's, not, there's no such thing as bad publicity. So there's a lot of publicity that's being inundated in your kid's life more than you probably realize, and you've got to proactively engage and talk about a lot of these things. But do it in a level of respect. Do it in a level that's, that's loving and gracious and recognizes the God of heaven and doesn't just write some of these things off or your children are going to be confused and they're going to end up writing you off because you're not giving them good answers along the way. But bravely wade in and have those conversations. Um, don't be, we should not be surprised when people are struggling with these sins. You see what Paul dealt with a minute ago? He didn't talk about unnatural desires. I mean, he talked about that, but it was individuals who gave in to those desires and committed the physical acts. Here's a needle that I'm threading. A person can absolutely have a heart and a love for the Lord Jesus and struggle with same-sex attraction and temptation for much of their life. It's not the temptation that's the sin, folks. It's the action of it. And when the egg has gotten scrambled, there are going to be some people that struggle with this. It's not going to be the majority, but there will be some. And we as a church and as Christians ought to be able to engage them with compassion and love and help and not writing them off. Because when they feel written off, they don't want to engage and talk to us. And they feel that they just their only choice is to turn and to go to that which they desire and what they've seen. But instead, we should cry and weep and walk. That's the way we treat all other sins, right? The answer is yes. It's the way we should treat this one too. And we shouldn't be surprised when people are struggling. That's just things have gone haywire and a deep level in our heart in the middle of that. And that should be our posture. That should be our approach. And we instead should do what we always do is we hold out the gospel as a hope to change people's lives. Now, there are so many people today, and I will speak to the one with the homosexual thing. We know that God takes liars and cleans them up and helps them not to lie. We know that God takes those who are disobedient to parents and cleans them up so they're not disobedient to parents. We know that. Guess what? God does take sinners who struggle with same-sex attraction, who have had transgender sin surgeries and who've gone the whole way who are waking up more and more and saying, oh my goodness, I've made major mistakes. What have I done? 
and the grace of God is coming into their life and they are detransitioning and they are going the other direction and, and it's messy. All sin, the farther we go, the older we are and the farther we go down that road of sin, the deeper that we go, the more that God lets us go because of our own stubborn, hell-bent nature, the messier and the harder it is to come back. That's just reality. I like it when kids trust Jesus early and avoid all of that mess. I like it when God saves really messed up sinners and have gone far down that road, but I really like it when kids skip it all together. And the gospel saves. And there's so many ministries and so many people that are seeing that life changed. And I know in the media it won't be popular, but it's just you can Google that and you'll find all kinds of stories and testimonies in the middle of that. Is that Jesus saves us from all of this mess. He saved you and he saved me. I don't know which part of this is you. I don't know which part of this with those in your family you're struggling with. But all of it is normal in a sinful world. It's not natural, as Paul told us, but it's normal to be messed up and to have all of this. And we as a church, and we as individuals, we as Christians, hold that truth of, of life to others. And we will be a welcoming church. Careful. I welcome you into my home. You're welcome to come to my home. It doesn't mean that I'm approving of everything you do in your life. Because I don't know the vast majority of what you're doing in your, in your life. Nor if I walk in your door. And I know that welcoming today has become code to not just be welcoming, but... It goes even beyond being, you know, an approval of somebody's lifestyle. It goes to actually like celebrating. I know that's code. But we're going to welcome sinners here, but we will not celebrate sin ever. And we will not advocate for any sin ever. But we want to welcome people and be a hospital for people that are looking for truth. Not looking for trouble, but looking for truth. And we will do that all day long. So folks... I don't know how this hits you this morning. I'll be honest, this was one of the more challenging passages you can imagine to prepare. I thought, oh Lord, where in the world does this thing go? I mean, I know what it says, it's so clear, but how do we navigate these things today? It's not a lot of fun being the boy that says the emperor's got no clothes when your peers and all the others that should know better say, you know, have fallen for the lie. But that's where we are. But where are you? So what's God going to kind of speak in your heart this morning? I hope in the transition, and really don't want it to be a big transition, but the deeper we go and understand our sin and how messed up we are and how in the middle of this is in our life, the more we should be thankful for God's grace that somehow comes into our life. And He does change desires along the way. He does rewire. And He does fix and heal and mend the broken. And he helps people that have just gone headlong away from him. And he's done that in most of you, and he's done that in me. And if that has been your experience, that you know Jesus by faith, and you're saved through his grace and dying on the cross, and you are a follower of his, you've surrendered your life to him, then we invite you to participate in the, what's known as the Lord's Supper, or the Lord's Table, that a picture as we drink this juice in just a minute. It's a picture of Jesus' blood that was spilled, that was shed for us, that He took our punishment for all of these. I, I read the verse earlier, but I won't read it again, but it says, those who do these things deserve to die. That's, that's 
Not in this life. That's not for you and me to take on. But it's talking about eternal death that we earn for all of this. And Jesus died instead of us. And so through our faith and trusting in him, we celebrate and we recognize that we are forgiven and we are freed. Maybe some of these things as I read this list, you're like, oh, that was me and that's close to home. Well, if you know Jesus and are forgiven, you're freed of that. That stuff is gone and in the past. And so we celebrate this this morning. He's grateful for the grace that he has in our life. So you can go ahead. I'm going to get mine in front, but go ahead and pick your cup up. And open that first clear wafer. One that doesn't taste so good, but that's probably the point, right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, he's reminding us of what Jesus did the night that he was betrayed. He said, when he had given thanks, he broke it. Talking about the the bread. He broke it and he, he said, this is my body, which is for you or for your behalf, instead of you, in place of you. In other words, My body's going to hang on that cross so yours doesn't have to. I'm going to take the punishment and the penalty of death so you don't have to. It's going to be in your place. It's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Aren't you glad that Jesus saves us from all of the mess in our own heart? Aren't you glad that he explains to us why the world around us is in a mess? Christians, let's stop being shocked by it. I don't mean to say we should expect it. I'm not saying we shouldn't recognize it for what it is. But as it disturbs us, it should cause us to go and realize like, wow, I'm looking in the mirror. If it weren't for the Lord Jesus' grace in my heart, that's where I'd be in some other area of life. Maybe not that exact one, but another one, and another one, and another one. And that'd be me. And it should break our heart to reach and to help people for salvation. That's the response that we should have. Pray with me, would you? Lord, thank you for grace. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for salvation. Lord, you impact very clearly for us where we are and how we got into this mess in our own heart, how our culture got into this mess where it is. And Lord, I we struggle to engage and to relate. And Lord, honestly, we get offended because of the things that people call us. and But Lord, help us to continue to have the attitude that Jesus did. Because none of us have resisted sinners to the point where Jesus was, where he was put on the cross. None of us here have. So Father, we ask for your grace. Help us to share the truth and the word and the hope of life and the change that we can have. We pray this in Jesus' name.